Ben, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. You know, I, I was thinking while we were worshiping, I, I've probably sung that ocean song like a hundred times now. And, you know, the thing that amazes me about songs like that is um, how, the, how the, the greatest truths seem to, seem to become cliche the fastest, don't they? Which is really, con- is really convicting for me. Uh, so the, the lyrics say, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Right? And I don't, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of times I get hung up on the fact that like, um, man, I've, I've sung this a hundred times. And I don't fix my mind on the fact that I'm saying the words, Spirit, lead me where my, my fear is without borders. Take me deeper than my, my feet would ever, ever wander on their own. And I say these things, and, they're, and I say them as cliches. And I, don't, and I don't fix my heart to that, and I don't fix my mind to that. And I want to tell you right now, that's a really dangerous place to be. To be. That's a very, very dangerous place to be, because what you're doing is you're tempting the Lord to open your eyes. And, and I want to say, you know, this is, this is kind of a, a, a little bit of a sober week for me. I've just, I cannot get uh, Bob Weston out of my mind. Just can't. And the loss that that is. Thinking about my friends, the, the Fife's coming back to town. And, and there's, uh, my mind has been on a lot of things. And, and studying, preparing this passage I was in danger of studying Acts, the, the end of Acts chapter 10, and saying to myself, oh yeah, this is the part where Cornelius gets saved. Right? Oh yeah, this, I've read this before, and I know, I know how to teach this, I know how to preach this. And I was in danger of preaching things from a place of, of comfort and, and trite uh, rendition, if you will. Right? And I think that there's something much deeper here. And I'm, I'm hoping that God will help us uh, to see that this morning. We are going to be in Acts chapter 10. And we will be looking at the, the end of this chapter. As Cornelius, uh, the Roman centurion, and the Grecians accept Jesus Christ, a monumental moment in the book of Acts. And let's start again by praying and asking that the, that the Lord would help us. Uh, not to just recite cliches, but to fix our minds on what he would have for us and the purposes that he would have for us. All right? Are you ready? You guys look about as sober-minded as I feel. Yeah? Are you ready? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. And uh, Lord, we don't want to approach your book flippantly. Uh, This is the letter that you wrote us. And it does not grow old. It does not grow weary. It's deeper than we can ever um, understand. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would allow us to approach it with humility this morning, knowing that we could read the same passage a million times and still gain more. Grow our faith. Lord, let us use the, the story of Acts and the Apostles as an opportunity for us to to press into their example and to live exactly the way 
with the same call, with the same spirit, with the same boldness, with the same fearlessness that we see portrayed here in this story. We need you, God. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point in our story, we've covered, at this point right now, we've covered 10 years. Yeah? So, so next time you think to yourself, well, Brandon's taking an awful long time. Right? I just, I've covered 10 years in one year, and I think that's, that's fairly impressive. All right? So when you grow weary, remember that we've actually covered a lot of ground here. And what we've seen is that the apostles... Uh, have been preaching the gospel. And, uh, and really primarily in Jerusalem. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk real quick about the Apostle Peter. Now the Apostle Peter has been given special oversight over the church of Jerusalem. All right? He's given, been, been given special oversight. He is the leader of this battalion of men who's responsible for preaching the gospel right? in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? Now, in Mark chapter 16, we see that Jesus tells, gives Peter a, a special privilege, all right? Let's, let's look at that. Verse 17 uh, of Matthew 16. And Jesus uh, answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bid on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so we see Peter is given a special privilege by Jesus Christ. He's been given the keys of heaven. And with that come the miracles of the, uh, uh, the apostles and the message of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Now, I, rem- I remember when I was 15 years old, I-, I got my first job. I got my first job. Anybody get their first job at about 15? Okay. Uh, in least some at the time, if you were 15, there was only two places you could work. Okay? It was either high V sacking groceries. Now, those were coveted positions. <laughs> those were hard to get jobs. James probably remembers this, yeah? Because you were looking for jobs around that time. You probably worked, you worked landscaping. You had an inn. I didn't have an inn. I didn't have anyone like that. So for me, it was either working at Hy-Vee sacking groceries or working fast food. All right? Now, some of you know what that's like in your teenage years working fast food. But I, at age 15, I was desperate for money, and so I got a job at Mickey D's. Yeah. Now, some of you saw, I, I still have some skills that I gained from McDonald's. And some of you witnessed that at, at the retreat. Some of you got to partake of, of a soft serve ice cream cone that I made for you. And I have, I have amazing soft serve skills. I was telling, I was telling some, some of the folks, I've made a four foot soft serve ice cream cone. Yeah, no, dead serious. We had, to put, we, had to put, we had to put the soft serve ice cream machine up on a platform so that there would be space as I approached the floor like this. And it was like, it was like this. 
so needless to say, I wasn't doing my job when we were... That was a slow night at McDonald's, the night I made the four-foot ice cream cone. Um, but no, I got a job at 15, which means I had money, which means I needed, I needed a savings account. I needed a checking account because I was growing up. All right? The facial hair was coming in. I was growing up. And I needed, I needed uh, to, to have access to money, and I needed a checking account. Now, the bank would only require, uh, allow me to get a checking account if my mommy would, when you're 15, right, come on, if your mommy will come with you up to the bank and sign off, right, and with her authority, she will approve your ability to have a checking account, which was embarrassing but necessary. Okay, so, so I got a checking account, and my mom's presence substantiated the validity of my checking account. Okay? Now, we see that Peter is like my mom, but, but with a beard, probably. I just imagine Peter with a beard. All, all of the apostles had beards, right, in my mind. Uh, now, he's present in, in, our, in our story, in the Acts of the Apostles, he's present each time the gospel door is opened for each different people group that we've looked at. Do you guys remember this? Now, I can't go back and recap too much, but we are going to do a little bit of recapping. Now, Peter, as the man with the keys to the kingdom of heaven, is present each time the gospel goes into a different people group even, even after the, the opportunity for the kingdom of heaven is passed. Okay? Let's look at this. this. As a way of recapping, let's look back and see how the gospel doors seem to unlock and open. Can we do that? All right, so the very first time we see the gospel doors unlock and open is in Acts chapter 2. We've got a group of apostles. Okay? And it was a, it was a small group of, of disciples that are waiting up in the upper room. They've just spent 40 days with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, Right? And they've just spent that time with him, and now they're up in the upper room praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to fill that room and give them a special and unique power to speak in languages of other people's. That's what they're waiting on. And that happens. And the gospel begins to go forth in Jerusalem through miracles and the, and the preaching in boldness of the gospel. We see that the gospel's being preached, and thousands upon thousands are being saved. So in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Spirit fills the disciples and they went out into the streets proclaiming the gospel. Now, as we continue on in the story, and we fast forward a few chapters, the disciples have been doing this work. that They've, they've been beaten, they've been, uh, they've been jailed, they've been threatened. And in the midst of all that, they just keep proclaiming the gospel without, without any fear of the repercussions because, because they trust. Jesus Christ. But then we get to Stephen. And Stephen is preaching the gospel to the Pharisees and the priests and the religious order. And he's stoned for it. And what we see in this moment is very, very important. This is where there's a, there's a pivot that takes place here. And there's a door that is being shut to the Jews. And a door that's being opened to the Gentiles because of the rejection of the religious order and a rejection of the Jewish people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? 
And so what we do see here is the door that was open is beginning to shut and a new door is opening. And so what we do is we see in Acts chapter 8 that the door was opened to the Samaritans. See, the Samaritans were a people of, of, of mixed religious and racial background. They're, they're part Jew and part Assyrian, right? Now what we know about the Samaritans is that the, this people group came, came out of the Babylonian captivity. Right? So when the Jews were being persecuted and put into slavery in the Babylonian captivity, there was a small remnant of Jews that, that remained behind and they mixed with the Assyrian people and they, they had a completely different perspective on who God was and, and culturally and ethnically they were anathema to the Jewish people. They were, they were hated and despised even after the Jews came back into their land. The Samaritans were never accepted. So there's been tension between the Jews and the Samaritans for centuries, but regardless of how the Jews felt, regardless of what they thought, God loved them. And he sent them Philip, Deacon Philip. Philip, the the first missionary, short-term missionary to the Samaritans. He goes and he preaches the gospel. And guess what? Those yucky Samaritans accept the message of Jesus Christ. And the door opens. And so what happens is, they get saved, they get baptized, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so, so Peter and John have to go down to the Samaritans and lay hands on them so that they might receive the Spirit. You guys remember that story? So that is a new door that's opening. A new door that's opening to the Gentile people. Now, as we move forward again, and we get to Acts chapter 10, we see God preparing the heart of Peter, the apostle, through a vision. And we see God preparing the heart of a man named Cornelius, the Roman centurion, preparing their hearts for a very special meeting where the gospel would go fully into the Gentile people groups. That's what's about to happen here. And so this is what we've been covering over the last few Sundays that we've been in Acts is this story of the Roman centurion who was instructed by God to go fetch Peter because Peter had a message for him. Now what's important to see here in our narrative is that God is declaring a new truth to Peter and the Jewish Christians and it's this. It's very, very important. Okay? It's not, it's not that it's not that the, the gospel was being open to the Gentiles alone. I mean, we, we've already seen the gospel go to a Gentile people in the Samaritans, haven't we? We saw the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch get saved. He was a Gentile, right? But there's a paradigm shift that's very, very important here that we need to understand, and this is it. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. That was very, very important for Peter and the Jewish Christians to understand is that there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. In other words, as the door opened to the Gentiles, if the Jewish Christians wanted to remain in the will of God, it would require that they abandon their biases. It would require... In fact, it would be absolutely necessary that they would put behind them their prejudices 
that God might use them to minister the gospel to the Gentiles. And this was no easy thing to do. We saw Peter struggle with this, didn't we? He says to himself, not so, Lord, right? Right? In his heart, he's devastated by this, this shift in ministry perspective. It was difficult for him to, to understand and grasp this concept. So this is no easy thing. This is a big request. To love in spite of our natural inclination to judge people. That's hard to do, isn't it? We watch Peter as he struggles with this truth, and if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with this exact same thing. We struggle to love people too. We struggle to see people in terms of the gospel. I mean, all of, all of us do this. All of us pass judgment based on what we see and what we hear. And we have a hard time looking at one another and looking at other people the same way that God does. We struggle with that. It's difficult for us. Now, the, the Bible doesn't advocate that we accept sin. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is a true acceptance of people and their lostness and their differences and their cultural differences. Key point number one. In the kingdom of God economy, okay, a spiritual economy, a Christian's display of love for people and truth unlocks doors for the gospel. Now, we saw in Peter, he had the keys of the kingdom of heaven, didn't he? And his, his responsibility was over, over bringing in a, a physical reign of Jesus Christ. And you know what? We're going to see that again in Revelation. One day, the Jews will come back to Jesus Christ, and they will come back to God, and Peter will be there with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That is a very physical kingdom. One day, we will see that take place. But in this time, in this dispensation, in the kingdom of God economy, the thing that unlocks doors in the lives of the lost world is a spirit of love and truth. A spirit of love and truth. And the problem with Christianity in 2019, evangelical Christianity in 2019, is that we choose one or the other, but not both. We have a serious problem in contemporary Christianity, and certainly in this room as well. We are, we are not, we haven't figured it out, Kaya. People are, are, are either so self-righteous in terms of the knowledge that they have, that they fix their mind and their lifestyles, and they display a knowledge of truth to the neglect of love. Or, they fixate so much on a lifestyle of love that they neglect the power and the authority to the kingdom of God lies in the truth of Scripture. And there is a serious danger of neglect. Listen to me. The key is to the kingdom of God is preaching the gospel and love. And that means that we need to, to learn how to accept all people groups. We need to learn to love people 
and to throw away our bias for the sake of Jesus Christ. We have to learn how to do this. And the only way to learn how to do this is to remember the testimony of Jesus Christ himself who ate with publicans and sinners when it was despised by the religious people. He chose that. He was willing to face ridicule. He was willing to deny himself the respect of the people who had it figured out. He chose to live a hard life, and that hard life was loving those that were hard to love. He did that. See, Peter didn't need the the keys to the kingdom of heaven to do God's will. He needed the keys to the kingdom of God if he was going to reach Cornelius. If he was going to reach Cornelius and these Grecians that were gathered together ready to hear the gospel, he needed the keys to the kingdom of God and that is ministering the truth of Jesus in love. And so Peter works through this, and he comes to agreeance with God. And then we see him display his love. We see Peter display his love in that he was willing to walk the 30 miles from Joppa to Caesarea to preach to them. We see his love in the tone that he takes with the Grecians, in the way that he speaks to them, and how he proclaims that God loves them. We can see that love on display. Peter was a man who was willing to live according to what he believed, A man willing to accept others and to love them simply because God did. Now here's the question for you. Are you living a life that proves that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you living a life that proves out and displays that you carry the keys to the kingdom of God And that God has given you the words and the life to help other people escape the bondage of sin. People are imprisoned. People are imprisoned to their sin. And they need forgiveness to unlock the door to set them free, to liberate them. And God has given us that responsibility as our ambassadorship. That's that's what we do. And we have to prove out what we believe. We have to. Now upon Peter's arrival, Cornelius and the Grecians were gathered around. We talked about this last time we were together. They were ready and willing to hang on every word that Peter was going to speak. They had no idea what he was going to say. And they were ready to receive it. And here's what Peter preached. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Super important. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So like we talked about last time in his message, the first thing that he does is he establishes the deity of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just a good man. He didn't just work miracles. He is Lord of all. It was important for them to know that. Verse 37, that word I say ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil 
He proved his power, didn't he? Jesus Christ went about proving his power, who he was. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they slew and hanged on a tree, who they killed. So Jesus Christ died. But in verse 40, we, re- we, we recognize the most important truth. Him, God, raised up the third day and showed him openly. Peter says, the one that we worshipped, the one that we followed, the one that we witnessed, he didn't just die, but he rose again. Now he showed himself not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. He is Savior. He is judge and he is Savior. Look, Look here. He is the judge of the quick and the dead. Man, how important is that, for, is that for people to know? Because, because Jesus isn't just our Savior, He's also the judge. And the interesting thing here is that we have to choose. He's either our Savior or He's our judge. We have to choose. So here's the proposition to the Grecians. Listen, He can either be your judge At the end of all things, at the end of your life, you can stand before him. Condemned in your sin. Or you can stand before him, set free and cleansed as your savior. But you have to choose. Now, now if we're going to be really specific, the truth is, according to Philippians, we will either bow before him as judge, or bow before Him as Savior. Every knee will bow. Whether it bows by choice or bow because it's broken, every knee will bow. But the truth is, He is the judge and He is the Savior. And you pick which one. Key point. Every person on earth will one day face God as their judge or their Savior. And those are the terms of the gospel that Peter presents. And it isn't necessarily peaches and cream, is it? It's a hard truth. It's a hard truth, but it is our gospel message. And, we, and when we preach the gospel, we ought not neglect it. We ought not neglect people's sin when we preach the gospel. They have to confront it. There is no salvation unless there's repentance of sin. And so in verse 40, 44... While Peter was in the middle of speaking the gospel, he hadn't even finished what he was saying. He hadn't even completed his statement. I mean, he was on a roll and he was feeling good, right? This is how preachers get, right? They're never, they're, they never want to stop when the time comes, right? They want to keep going. This is why I always roll over. I'm, I apologize for that, right? But preachers like to preach. He's in the middle of preaching this message. But it's so interesting to me That this congregation of people couldn't get past the fact that Jesus Christ was their Savior. And before he could even finish saying the words, 
they had accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in their hearts and in their minds, even right there. What's it say? While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They heard. And this word heard means that they understood and they received. And look, they were so, they were so overcome with conviction, so overcome with belief, so overwhelmed with the message that they received the truth immediately. They couldn't move forward until they had decided in their decider. Until they knew in their knower, as Sam would say. The moment they heard that Jesus was willing to save them from their sins, their, conscience, their consciences confirmed it. Now, of course, we know that they believed because the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them, which is the consequence of, of belief. Now, let's talk briefly, and let's take a side note here about the transition that's taking place. You know, note Peter didn't have to lay hands on them like he did with the Samaritans. You notice that? The Spirit just falls on them. And what we see here is we see a shift in the way salvation takes place. And for those of you who are going to be taking D2 and LFBI, you'll continue to understand these transitions. And I've preached about this in previous messages. But it's really important to note here that the salvation that we see taking place here in this moment to Cornelius and to these Gentiles is the model by which, or the soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, that we see taking place throughout the rest of the church age. And it goes like this. It looks like I believe the Holy Spirit then indwells me and then I choose to get baptized. Now, in, in, the, in previous salvations with the Samaritans and with the Jews, it looks a little bit different, doesn't it? With the Jews, remission of sins looked like believing and getting baptized. We see that in Acts chapter 2. With the Samaritans, it looked like believing, getting baptized, and then having hands laid upon them. Okay, And we talked about all the reasons for that and Peter's authority being exercised, etc., etc. You can go back and look at that. But here what we see is the model moving forward, how salvation works. Okay, We don't get saved by getting baptized. We don't get saved, certainly, and we'll talk about this in a moment, by speaking in tongues. Okay, We get saved when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and our Savior. Then the Holy Spirit immediately takes residence in us. And then the outward sign of that is baptism. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this, at this time His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. It requires belief. There's nothing else added here in the doctrine of salvation that we see in Romans. We did a whole series. It took me like 400 years to get through Romans, okay? And Romans is a crucial book. It unlocks for us so many doctrines as New Testament believers. And if you have a desire to learn more about that, you can go back and listen to those messages. All right, but Romans is so important. And this is the salvation message that we see. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's not much to that, is there? We always want to add other things, don't we? We always want to make it more complicated, don't we? 
I mean, I've had very many, uh, several loving conversations with many of you when you first came to church here about the things that, that other religious people had told you to add to your salvation. Well, it's going to require you get baptized. Someone may, someone may have told you that at some point. Or it's going to require that you get confirmed. Or it's going to require that you do these certain uh, sacraments, okay? Or whatever it may be. You know what? The gospel is pure. And it is untainted. And the only thing, the only way to salvation is through faith in the simple gift of Jesus Christ. That's it. Key point. This is a fairly simple one, and I apologize, but I can't, I can't neglect this. Salvation is received through belief alone. That's it. Praise God. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I live in that dispensation, in the church age, the mystery age. No one expected it. But I'm so glad that it came. Salvation is received through belief alone. Verse 45, how do the Jews respond to what they were seeing? And they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. Okay, so the Christians, the Jewish Christians that, that believed, that the ones that saw what was going on, that witnessed these Gentiles' salvation were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard, uh, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So they, they, they're asking themselves, what's going on here? You know, they're, they're kind of freaking out. They've never seen anything like this. They, say, they have to say to themselves, here are a group of saved Gentiles who've received the Holy Ghost, and no one ever laid hands on them. That looks different. And they're speaking in tongues. Which was a sign that only the Jews had experienced up to that point. They didn't know what to do with that. Now let's talk real quick about tongues. And we've covered this again, so this might be review, review. Okay, But here's the thing about tongues. Tongues was a gift that was poured out on the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 2, as a sign that the Holy Spirit had come and in celebration that the gospel was going to all the nations. Right? That's the whole point. Because listen to me, speaking in tongues is speaking in different languages. And the beauty of speaking in different languages means that you can preach the gospel to every nation. That's the beauty. And so it was a sign to the Jews that were believing in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit had come and indwelt them and given them the power and the ability to go and preach the gospel to all the nations. That's what it was for. It was a sign. And now this sign was being poured out on the Gentiles? Oh God, what could this mean? So they're questioning in themselves, what's going on? And we see, we see Peter's, Peter's real smart here. And he knows that he's going to face some opposition in this change, right? It's, remember, we talked about how uncomfortable it was. It's very difficult for the Jewish believers to understand what was happening. And we see this even taking place in Acts chapter 11. Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and he's got to explain what's going on. Guys, this is what I saw. We'll, we'll look at this later, but he's explaining himself. And listen to what he says. In verse 15, he says, And I, be, I began to speak... 
And as I began to speak, right, this is our story. He was preaching the gospel and he's regurgitating the story to them. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Isn't that crazy? Can you believe it? Right? Then remembered I. So he's like teaching them. Right? You can tell, tell he's being sly here. Then remembered I the word of the Lord. How, he, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did, uh, he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Praise God. Hallelujah. And we are, and we are the benefactors. We are the benefactors of that truth. So what we see here is an evidence. The, the speaking in tongues was an evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit was now indwelling the Gentiles as well. Are you with me? This is, a, this is a more complex than I anticipated, right? Are you hanging with me? A lot goes on in Acts. It's very important to understand it rightly. So this sign comes, and it is what we can see now. It is a pattern, isn't it? it we saw it in the Jews, and now we see it in the Gentiles, and it is a pattern, and it is a sign that these people are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, what we see moving forward is that this, this monumental moment, it doesn't happen again. It doesn't happen like this again. In fact, what we see is a waning of this gift in the New Testament. All right? But I want to, to tell you something, and this is, this is the application for you. This is the inspirational truth for us. The evidence that the Holy Spirit indwells us, though it's not tongues, should be just as present and just as powerful. We ought to have evidences in our lives that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And there's two different kinds of evidences that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The first one is an internal evidence. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit itself, itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the Spirit actually speaks to us and bears witness to our conscience that He is real and that we are the children of God and that Jesus Christ has set us free. So we know that in our knower. It confirms itself to us every day. We experience, in the th experience it in the things that we think. We experience uh, uh, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in, in the way that we think, in the way that we feel, and we ought to know within our hearts that Jesus Christ has set us free. We ought to know that. And there should be internal evidences because the Spirit is bearing witness that we are the children of God. There's also an external evidence of the Spirit's indwelling, that our lives should be assigned to the lost world that Jesus Christ is real and causes real life change. change. Galatians chapter 5 tells us, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. 
In other words, when the Spirit indwells us, there ought to be evidences of our lives in the way that we live, and people ought to be able to witness the peace, love, joy, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness. We ought to be an evidence. Our lifestyle ought to be an evidence to the people around us of who God is in our lives. Does it make sense? We don't need tongues to, to clarify and signify who God is to us. Right? We need the Holy Spirit living through us that we might proclaim the gospel in everything that we do. So here's our key point. Every Christian, which means every person who believes and repents of sin, should have experiential evidence that the Spirit lives in them. Is that a slide? Oh, you guys got that a long time ago. You're you're ahead of me, aren't you? Now, these Jewish Christians are still standing around looking at each other like like they have no idea what's going on. They're lost. You know, that look? They're looking at each other like, what? What do we do now? Right? There's finger pointing. Right? They're astonished. So Peter, Peter's smart. Peter, Peter forces them to address what's happened. And this is what he says in verse 46. He says, then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? See, Peter wants to perform the ordinance of baptism. Because he wants to lock this thing down, right? He wants to make it clear to everyone involved, to the Jews that are standing around, the Jewish Christians that are standing around astonished, to the Gentiles who've received this gift, to everyone in the congregation. He wants it to be clear to them of the decision that was just made. You see where I'm going here? And that's what baptism is for us today too. Baptism is a declaration of the decision that we've already made. Some of you in this room, man, you're putting off baptism because you're afraid to get in water in front of people. Can anybody say amen to that? You had to, you had to work through that, right? There's, I mean, there's some grown folks in here that I've baptized in the last month, and some of you worked through that thing for a long time, amen? I remember I got saved when I was six years old, pretty young. Okay. I, I didn't get baptized until I was 12 because I was, I was afraid. I was afraid. I, I was afraid to be in front of people. I was shy, right? To be honest with you, I still am. Like, I, like everything about this, Eric, don't look at me like that. I, everything about this is difficult, okay? I sweat bullets every week before I get up here. But I was afraid to be in front of people, okay? Now, Listen to me. There were six years of my life where I was being disobedient. And I felt it. And you know what? Around the time that I was 12 years old, I can, I can, man, this is, I don't think I've ever told anybody this. Every Sunday for almost two years, right, as I was coming into those middle school years, during the invitation, I wept. I put my hand, I didn't want anybody to see. Face in my hands, looking like I was praying, and I wept. And some of you are in that place right now. You know you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the next thing you know you ought to do. I mean, there's no waiting. When you see these people getting saved in Acts, there's no waiting around. They ask themselves, where's the water at? 
And they go and they get baptized because they know it's obedient. And if you've decided to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's only appropriate that you start deciding to obey him. And some of you, we got baptism, it'll be two weeks from now. And I hope that I'll be dunking some of you. Because you've decided that you want to share with the congregation the decision that you've made and you want to confirm that thing. You want to lock it down in the eyes, the hearts, and the minds of the people that are your family. And that's what's happening right here. And so they do that thing. They go to, go to verse 48. And he commanded them to, baptize, to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They, they prayed they, him uh, to tarry certain days. So they asked Peter to stay and hang out with them many days. So they, Peter takes them down to the water. And those Gentiles, they get baptized. Now I want to I close with this. I want to I shift gears just a little bit. Because I can't waste this. I can't waste this opportunity. I told you at the beginning of service that, that Bob Weston has been on my mind uh, a lot this week. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a series of weird feelings that I've been trying to work through. And the first one is, it's, it's always sad to lose a brother in Christ. Right? I mean, I've got, mm, if I'm lucky, 35 more years before I get to see him. And that's tough. But here's the thing that I've really had a hard time with. And for, th- for those of you who don't know, Bob Weston was a missionary and evangelist that we supported for a really long time. I mean, the first time I saw Bob Weston was, wh- it was at a world outreach. And they always make him sing. Right? <laughs> so he gave his testimony, and he sang just like we've seen him do. And I remember I was probably 17, 18 years old. World outreach was like the old, it was like mission focus for those of us. Uh, from back in the day. But, man, um, this man had an anointing and a gifting. And, and Bob Weston was an evangelist in Jamaica, and, and so what that means is his primary objective was to preach the gospel everywhere he went. And we title that evangelist because he had the gifting of an evangelist. And, he, and he, God used him. God used him in Jamaica, and we supported him for decades. And so I'm, I'm faced with this struggle that I have in my mind, not necessarily just at the, the loss, of, loss of his physical presence, but the void that a man like that leaves in terms of the ministry. This is what I mean by that. is that I don't know if we're a generation of people who are willing to own ministry the way a man like that did. I think about me, I think about my heart, I think about my purposes in life, I think about you, my family, my children, in the faith, and I ask myself, who are we becoming? Jude chapter 1 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you 
that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Do we contend for the faith? And by contend, what I mean is do we we fill our heart and mind with God's word so much to the point that it overflows and seeps out in every aspect of our life? That it provokes us to go deeper than our feet could ever wander? That the Spirit would truly take us to places that we would never anticipate? Is that who we're becoming? Are we willing to fill that void? And if we're honest with ourselves, we are way too comfortable. Bob Weston and the Apostle Peter had this in common. Their love for God and their love for souls dictated the actions and words of their life, and there was nothing else. Nothing else. Everything else got purged. And many of us are missing this kind of purpose, this kind of love. I'm going to go ahead and ask that the worship team would come up. And as they do that, I want to invite you to come forward or to pray with someone, I want you to pray according to this. If your life lacks purpose, we need to pray that God would give you His purpose. You, only you know that. Think about your life. Does your life truly have purpose? I mean transcendent purpose. I mean transcending material wealth. I mean transcending experience. The knowledge that God has given you a mission that's eternal in nature. Do you know that you live in that purpose? Do you ask yourself, does my life reflect love? Am I living a life of spirit and truth? Am I living that life? And if you know that you're not, then it's time to pray. It's time to pray. It's time to get that right. And it's, it's time to tr change the trajectory of our lives. It's time to change that. And we can do that now as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the book that you've given me. I mean, you've given it to me. And uh, Lord, I, I, I want it to be my life. 